Shut up and sit down. Get ready, class is in session. It's Disneypedia. And now your professor, Jordan Weekend. Hello and welcome to Behind the Dreams Podcast. This is a special first episode of a new series that'll be about once every six to eight weeks. It's called Disneypedia, where we take in-depth looks and give you a historic uh, look at uh, some of the stuff going on uh, inside the Disney company. Uh, Today it is the history of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Oswald the Lucky Rabbit is one of my favorite characters that... Disney uh, created, and we are using a multitude of different sources like biographies, articles, books, and more. Something has always drawn me to Oswald. When I learned of his story, I immediately became a fan. I wanted to jump right in and learn everything I could about that lucky rabbit. He is like the red-headed stepchild of the Walt Disney Company, or at least was, until he was thankfully welcomed back in the company in 2006. Oswald is not often thought about as an important figure in Disney history. And while every child on earth knows who Mickey Mouse is, only the most hardcore of Disney fans know who Oswald is. Whenever I draw a picture of Oswald while I'm at work, or, you know, people will pass by my desk and say, Why does Mickey have such long ears? My phone case was an Oswald the Lucky Rabbit case for a while, but yet people looked at me like I had three heads. My lanyard for my car keys is a Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Uh, funny story, I actually have only had two people ever. One saw my phone case um, at work and she said, uh, why do you have an Oswald the Lucky Rabbit phone case? She is a fellow DCP alumni, so uh, she knows of Oswald. Another one, I went to a Chick-fil-A once, and at the register was a young man who who saw my lanyard hanging out of my pocket, my jacket pocket, and said that he liked my Oswald the Lucky Rabbit lanyard. Those moments really stick out to me because, like I said, nobody else ever knows. The reason I find this so frighteningly sad is because if Walt had not lost Oswald, not only would the Walt Disney Company be different, but the entire world would be. I know what you're thinking right now. What hyperbole? There's no way that the entire world would change, but in a world where Disney is an ever-growing corporation whose reach is expanding at rapid rates, it poses the question that without the advent of Mickey Mouse... Would all of this be possible? And that's what we're going to look at today in the next hour or so. To answer this question, 
we would have to go back to the beginning when Walt was making Oswald shorts for Universal. It was 1926 and Walt was coming right off of the Alice comedies and was looking for his next venture in animation. Universal was looking for an animated series based on a rabbit since they felt like there was too many cat cartoons on the market. For example, Felix the Cat, Crazy Cat, and even Julius in the Alice comedies. And Universal had notified Charlie Mintz to deliver it. Mintz's wife, Margaret Winkler Mintz, suggested to him that Walt might be the one to provide this series for Universal. Walt and Iwerks, his partner, made sketches in early 1927 and delivered them to Universal who approved them. Mintz made a deal with Universal to produce 26 cartoons featuring Oswald, while Walt signed a contract on March 19th of 1927 with the Winkler Film Corporation to produce the cartoons for Mintz. So, I know that's a lot right there, so what we really want, how I want to break that down is uh, Mintz worked for the Winkler Film Corporation and Universal hired the Winkler Film Corporation to make 26 cartoons and the Winkler Film Corporation hired Disney and his studio to produce them. To actually draw them and, and write them. While Universal and Mintz were initially enthusiastic about the sketches, they were immediately disappointed with the first short of the 26 contracted, which was titled Poor Papa. This is where I recommend David A. Balsert's book, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, The Search for the Lost Disney Cartoons. In the book, Balsert has quotes from the telegrams that were actually sent from Mintz to Disney. The one on April 15th of 1927 is quoted as, Oswald arrived today and am disappointed. I thought it was understood between us that the early pictures particularly would show more of the rabbit than this one does. There are so many other characters that at no time is Oswald outstanding. To give some context for this short, if you have not seen it, the short Poor Papa starts out with Oswald seemingly waiting for something while storks start dropping baby rabbits down the chimney. There are 30 babies and it explores Oswald taking care of the babies. In this short, Oswald does not look exactly like the Oswald that we know today and as Universal complained, there were a lot of characters due to all of the baby rabbits and the storks which the count continues to grow throughout the short, leading Oswald to shooting down the storks before they drop off the baby rabbits. Universal would end up shelving the short until 1928. If you haven't seen it, I recommend watching it. It is on, I believe, the Snow White and the Seven Dwarf digital edition. Uh, if you get Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs on Blu-ray in the Walt Disney Signature Collection, you should get the download code or the digital copy code that you can enter in your Movies Anywhere app and it will unlock the Oswald short for Poor Papa. It wasn't until the third short that even Walt was happy with the character that they were creating. According to Bob Thomas's Walt Disney and American Original, the rabbit became softer, more appealing, and the situations were funnier. The second short, Trolley Troubles, started to get good reviews around this time as well. Universal were starting to get their return on investment back. Oswald became so popular that offers were arriving for merchandising. 
Oswald was the first Disney character to be on merchandise, first appearing on a chocolate-coated marshmallow candy bar made by a company called the Vogan Candy Corporation of Portland, Oregon. He would also appear on a button for the Philadelphia Badge Company and a stencil set from the Universal... <clears throat> and a stencil set from the Universal Tag and Novelty Company. All of this was without any royalties going to Walt Disney and his company. But Walt considered this good publicity for the shorts. What is even more amazing is while Walt and his team were churning out hit after hit cartoon, Mintz was still never pleased, and since Walt never did any of the animation anymore by this time, Mintz felt like he did not bring much of anything to the series. At this time, Mintz started laying the groundwork for separating from Walt with contract talks for the 1928-1929 to season of shorts. Mintz's brother-in-law, George Winkler, recruited some of Walt's animators without Walt's knowledge. Winkler would open his own animation house run by himself to produce the new shorts. The only one who brought this to Walt's attention was his right-hand man, U.B. Iwerks, who had also been asked to leave Disney's company, but had steadfastly denied. Walt would later hope that the Universal bosses would intervene and went to New York to negotiate with Mintz. Walt tried to negotiate for more money per, per short, asking for 2500 instead of the 2250 they were currently getting for producing each short. Mintz countered offered with 1800 a short, which would be a decrease. When Walt pressed on this, Mintz gave Walt an ultimatum. Either Walt joins Mintz at his asking price, or Mintz takes full control of Oswald and the Disney animators he had signed. Walt stalled for some time and even tried shopping Oswald shorts to other companies like MGM and Fox. But Mintz then lets out the bombshell. The rights were squarely owned by Universal per the contract. Mintz then made his last offer, which according to Bob Thomas again was that Mintz would pay for the costs of producing each cartoon, providing liberal salaries for studio employees, and sharing 50% of the profits. Walt did not take the deal and even told Mintz to watch out because if it happened to him, the animators would do the same to Mintz. And they did. Well, let's back up before we talk about Mintz losing Oswald as well. Not only did Walt lose the rights to Oswald, but during this time while they were negotiating, Walt still had to produce the final three Oswald shorts for the contract. To be honest, I don't know how he did it. It would be like your company you work for saying, we're firing you at the end of the week, but we still expect you to come in and finish your work before then. He delivered the last short in August of 1928, titled Hot Dogs. I find this title of the last Oswald short ironic. Oswald led to Mickey. And as most people know, and as was a trivia question on one of our episodes previously, Mickey's first words were hot dogs. And while that was well after Mickey's first appearance, I just think it is worth noting that the end of Oswald was hot dogs and the beginning of Mickey's voice on film was hot dogs. It's one of those meaningless facts that sometimes you assign meaning to anyway. And it's a way that these two brothers are linked together. 
Walt and Iwerks started working on Mickey Mouse and Seagrid during their final productions of Oswald. And according to Bossard, Plain Crazy and Galloping Gaucho were completed by the time that the last Oswald short was completed. At this time, Mintz hired Walter Lance, the future creator of Woody the Woodpecker, to join their team for the next 26 Oswald shorts. Here is where Walt was right. Lance met in secret with Carl Lamell, Universal's founder and CEO, and the next thing you know, Mintz's contract was terminated one year into a three-year deal. And Lance was in full control by the 1929-1930 season of shorts. Lance would go on to make over 140 Oswald shorts, which would be the longest run a studio had creating Oswald shorts. But also during this time, Oswald started to become, well, less like Oswald. His appearance started to change. By 1933, he had short ears, big eyes, shoes, shirts, shorts. And even at one time, by 1935, he was a white rabbit wearing overalls. Gone was the lucky rabbit, and instead he was just now Oswald Rabbit. He was no longer the same character, and there's a big difference between the Disney-era shorts and the Lance-era shorts. Oswald had lost all of his personality. He was no longer the spunky character with personality by the buckets. He was different. His personality had instead transferred to Walt's other creation, Mickey Mouse. People like to call Oswald and Mickey brothers, and they sort of are very similar. Sometimes they are exactly the same. Mickey eventually became tamer as Donald Duck became the feisty character. I think a lot of people forget that about Mickey. Or if they watch the original shorts, they are surprised by how different Mickey is to the squeaky clean image they have in their minds. When Mickey became the mascot for Walt Disney Company, he became sanitized. They couldn't show Mickey doing too many outrageous things because he was the mascot of the company. It could hurt the brand. And at one point, Donald Duck even became more popular than Mickey Mouse in the 30s. I think a lot of people also forget that there's times in the original shorts of the late 20s and early 30s, Mickey is seen smoking, drinking. He's seen being more pesty and and spunky than he is now. You know, the crystal clear image of him from the Mickey Mouse clubhouse is not how Mickey always was. In fact, he's changed so much over those 90 years now. But as we grow older and as more people see Mickey now, that becomes the image of Mickey Mouse. He becomes sanitized, like I had said. I am... I, I really recommend going back and watching some of these Mickey Mouse shorts from the 20s and from the 30s because... He's very different from what you know him now. And I think seeing that, if you watch some of these Oswald shorts, if you find them on YouTube or buy the treasure set, you'll really see the similarities. Their personalities, though, were originally more similar, the two of these. Here's some homework. Watch Oswald the Lucky Rabbit's Oh What a Night short from 1928. And then right after that, watch Mickey's Mouse short 
Ye Olden Days from 1933. Go ahead and pause this right now and go watch. I will wait. Are you back? The shorts share a lot of similarities. The plot is the same for both. A princess stuck in a tower with our hero riding a mule, singing tunes to win her over and save her from a knight who do she does not want to wed. The big difference between the two is sound. By the time that Walt produced the olden days, Mickey could speak, music could be synced to animations, and Goofy had already been introduced. The Mickey short is also three minutes longer than Oswald's, which was a more basic version of the short. But Oswald's personality shines more through those five minutes than Mickey's did in the eight minutes. I think it has something to do with not relying on spoken words. In the fight scene with the knight, Oswald's personality shines the most. He valiantly defends himself, picks up a sword, and does not back down. But secretly, he is scared and doesn't want to show it. He hands the sword off to his shadow and lets the shadow take on the knight when he goes back to Hortensia, his princess, his Minnie Mouse, and gives her a big kiss, puffs out his chest, and then goes back to the fight. The knight charges for Oswald who gets out of the way, and the knight is then stuck in the window of the tower with his rear end still in the tower. Oswald opens up the back of his armor and pokes him with the sword, goes back to Hortensia for another kiss. Then Oswald runs back to the knight, stabs him again, and takes another victory lap to kiss his princess. He does this one more time before running back to the knight who this time is waiting for him, and has a sword ready to strike. This is one of the most classic Oswald shorts, and probably the one that shows off his personality the most. The personality that would soon be transferred to Mickey just months later and a personality that was lost after Mintz and Lance took over production. By 1938, Oswald's light was fading as he was, as Balser puts it, phased out and only occasionally appeared in other cartoons, making his last animated appearance in a universal cartoon, The Woody Woodpecker Polka, in October of 1951. His domain was restricted to comics and merchandise after that. Oswald faded into obscurity and became history. And that is until February 6, 2006. ESPN had just gained the rights for Monday Night Football, but had lost the contract for Sunday Night Football. And according to former ESPN president George Bodenheimer, in his book Every Town is a Sports Town, at the 2006 Super Bowl, a colleague informed me that Al Michaels wanted to get out of his ABC contract so he could join Madden on the Sunday night team. If true, this was a big development, as Al had been with ABC for 30 years. Iger was willing to let Michaels go with NBC, who had regained the Sunday night football rights and was owned by Universal, would give up the rights to the 26 Disney-made Oswald cartoons. Within a week, the deal was done. Iger went on to say of the trade, I wanted to complete Walt's mission. I knew there was an empty spot in his heart since Oswald left. There was something about bringing Oswald back that seemed right. So the move was meant to do something that was positive for Disney's culture and to tap into that legacy. Oswald was finally home. 
In the time since 2006, Oswald has made appearances in the parks, in cartoons, and even had a DVD release. In 2007, Disney released the Walt Disney Treasures, The Adventures of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, a two-disc set with 13 of the original 26 shorts and some documentaries. Some of the 26 are still lost to time, though David Bossard is working on finding more of these. You can find his Patreon and other information in the show notes. I also recommend his book on the subject, which I have quoted here in the podcast. It is a fantastic read and lots of information all about Oswald Shorts, even the lost ones. It's truly the best resource when learning about Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Next came merchandise in the parks, t-shirts, Oswald ears. Then on April 1st of 2014, Oswald made his first meet-and-greet appearance at Tokyo Disney. By September 14th of 2014, he was in Disneyland California Adventure. And actually, by 2016, I made the plan to go see Oswald in Disneyland, and that is where I proposed to my fiancé. But the reason why we chose Disneyland is I wanted to see something different, and I wanted to see Oswald. Not only was he in the parks, but he was also back in animation. First, he appeared in a new video game series, Epic Mickey, in 2010, where he played a major role. Then in 2013, in front of Frozen, Oswald made a cameo appearance in the Mickey Mouse short, Get a Horse. And just a few months ago, he made a cameo in one of the new Disney Channel Mickey Mouse shorts, Canned. But hopefully this is just the beginning of the renaissance of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Sometimes I feel like the Disney company could be doing more to reintegrate him into the family. Like I have said previously, I wish he had a role in the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Could have have been a spring-themed episode where he loses some eggs. And Mickey and the gang has to help him, etc. But my big dream is for a new Oswald short. Like how in 2013 Mickey Mouse had a new short released in Get a Horse. There are so many opportunities left for Oswald and the Disney company. And I think he does have a bright future. But at almost exactly 12 years after the rights were regained. I feel like sometimes it's not happening fast enough. Oswald's legacy is not just that he led to the creation of Mickey Mouse. But I do honestly think that without Oswald being ripped away from Walt, that the whole world would be a different place. Now, as I said before, you might think I'm crazy, but please hear me out. Walt losing Oswald was what not only spurred Walt and Iwerks to create Mickey, but it also made him very cautious about making sure he owned the rights outright to Mickey. To ensure that what had happened with Oswald would never happen to him again. If Walt had accepted Mintz's deal and continued producing Oswald shorts at a lower rate, would the Disney company be the same? Would it still exist? Imagine a world where the Disney company did not exist anymore. The movies Walt and his team produced, the characters he created, are so ingrained in our culture, everything would be different. Not only that, but now that the Disney company is one of the biggest entertainment companies in the world, they are so big that they own the biggest movie franchise of all time, Star Wars, which would be mind-boggling just a few years ago, when Disney was one of the when Disney was the rumored one to be bought out. That's back in like the Eisner era. 
before the Renaissance. They bought out Marvel, which have the biggest superheroes in the world, including the most bankable, the one that moves the most merchandise, Spider-Man. And now they're on the verge of completing the 21st Century Fox deal. None of this would be possible without losing Oswald. What would the parks look like today if Walt had never lost Oswald? They might not even exist. Would Walt have even made Snow White? These are the questions I wonder about when I think about Oswald. If Walt had even followed through with the parks, would they even be as popular? Instead of Mickey, kids would be lining up for Oswald and Hortensia. Would Goofy and Donald still have been created and integrated into the Oswald shorts, or would we live in a bizarro world with a different Fab Five? And as I said, if he had never created Snow White, then there would be no Disney World, no Disneyland. Would he have taken that risk? Would he have, and if he had, would it actually still end up being owned by another company anyway? Those are the questions that I wish I had answers to. I wish I could go into an alternate reality and tell you what I saw, but sadly it's all conjecture and speculation, and we'll never get a clear answer on my thesis. But I truly don't believe the world would be the same place it is now. If Walt had never lost Oswald, I see this loss as what spurred Walt on to become the man he did. And that's why I do not think it all started with a mouse, but rather a lucky rabbit. And while this ended up only being around 30 minutes, I hope that you learned enough about Oswald. Enough to make him a favorite of yours as well, just like he is for me. And I hope you do look at those books, the Bob Thomas, uh, the Bob Thomas biography, and the David Bossard Oswald book that just came out uh, around the end of August. I do recommend these books; they are great resources. Another resource I used was a article on ohmydisney.com that was about the history of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit and of course the Al Michaels story was provided by the ESPN book um, from the ESPN CEO formerly and I'm just doing this to raise awareness and I think our next episode which again will be in around 6 to 8 weeks is going to be about the effects that World War II had on the animation department. You know, Walt had lost some of his animators due to the draft. They started making Donald propaganda shorts, and they started making the package films instead of feature-length shorts. So that's what we're going to talk about next time. Please let me know if you enjoyed Disneypedia. This is a passion project of mine. I am a history major, and I like being able to go in-depth and talk about the history of the Disney company. And I just want to thank you for taking your time to listen to this 30-minute podcast. And I hope you have a great rest of your week. And I'll catch you on Sunday with a new episode of a regular Behind the Dreams podcast. Thank you. Music provided by 
bensound.com.